You're listening to a four-part series about the cross taught by Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel, Crook County. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. We are going to start a four-week series on the cross today. As I've uh, indicated, this is the first time that we've ever done a topical series. We've done topical messages in the past, but never a topical series, and so... um, kind of excited about it, and um, I think it's appropriate as we lead up to Easter, and certainly the cross is one of the most important subjects in all of the Bible and and one of the most important events in human history, probably the only event that would even uh, come close uh, as a tie or maybe a little bit more important, depending on how you look at it, is the resurrection, and so the cross of Christ, probably the most misunderstood and and yet the most important event in human history. And I want to talk about that in, in a fourfold series called The Cross, this morning looking at the reason for the cross. And, and really at the simplest level, the cross is the means by which God provides salvation and the forgiveness of sins. At the most simplest level. In fact, Jesus and His cross are the summary of the Christian message. Paul said this to the church of Corinth. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the the central message of the Christian faith, you guys, is the cross. And and yet it, it kind of has become something of a piece of entertainment, a piece of uh, clothing, an article of decoration to where it, it has sort of lost its meaning and lost its focus in the year 2008. And so we want to look at the reason for the cross this morning. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I don't really like to do this, and that is to pull a section of Scripture out of its context. That's why we teach through the Bible. But I think this is a great text about the cross, and and yet in its context, Peter is talking about being submissive. He's talking about suffering, and he uses Jesus as an example of that. And so we're going to kind of pluck this this little tidbit about the cross out of its context a little bit and look at four reasons for the cross. Starting in verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 2. In my Bible, it's page 1068. I don't know about yours, but... 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow His steps. And then he quotes Isaiah 53, verse 22, "...who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes... You were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And Lord, as we look at the cross, 
Lord, as we look at the reason for the cross, as we lead up to Easter and and ultimately look at the resurrection, God, may you show us what it is that we need to learn about the cross, how we need to apply it in our own life. Lord, how it's relevant to us. Lord, speak to us clearly this morning by your Holy Spirit. May we leave here impacted and changed, refreshed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first reason that I want to look at for the cross is the sin of man. It says in verse 24 here in our text, who himself bore our sins. And so the sin of man, we are sinners, if you didn't know that. We're sinners. Now, it's not a a real politically correct term to use anymore. In fact, sometimes even in the church, that term isn't used anymore. We like to use terms like mistakes or failures, things that are a little bit easier to digest. But the word sin and sinner is, it's a term that can create some controversy, but we are sinners. If you sin, that makes you a sinner. And we've all sinned. In fact, the Bible tells us that there's no one who is perfect. There's no one who is righteous. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are sinners both by nature, and Romans chapter 5 tells us that. And going back to Genesis chapter 3, when you look at the sin of Adam and Eve, they were told to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then Satan came along, and you know the story, and and he lied, and he twisted the scripture, and he deceived them, basically with the same deception that he's deceiving you and I even today. And that is, as James would say, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All sin fits into one of those three categories. And Satan tempted Eve, and ultimately Adam, with those three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And if you read through Genesis 3, you see that. And you see that that was where sin entered the world. Adam and Eve were were born with what was called untried perfection. It means they were created perfectly without sin, and yet they had the ability, they had the opportunity to sin because God didn't make robots. He gave them a choice. He gave them a free will, just as he has us. But because of that sin, we are now sinners by nature. And so you might look at it as a big S. Maybe think of like Superman, the big S. Well, it doesn't really stand for Superman. It kind of stands for sinner. And that's us. We're sinners by nature. And if you don't know that, have a few kids and you'll find out. We're we're sinners by nature. Our kids are sinners. We're born in sin. It, it never ceases to amaze me how at such young ages kids learn how to sin, right? The other day Carson had juice and I'm never a big fan of, of my kids running around the house with juice. But, you know, sometimes you just kind of, you know, let things fly a little bit and, and he, he was in the bedroom with juice and, 
I was just about to tell him, you know, like, that's probably not a good idea. And, and then he came in and, and, um, the, the cup was empty. So I knew that, you know, he had spilled the juice somewhere. And so I said, did you spill the juice? No, I didn't spill the juice. And so now it's kind of like, it's a, it's really getting to the principle of the matter, right? I could walk in there and look and see if he did, but I wanted him to tell me the truth. Did you spill the juice? No. I gave him four opportunities to tell me, did you spill the juice? No, I didn't. Okay. So we go in there, and he's got a towel that he got from the kitchen, and he placed it over the bed where he spilled the juice. And he thought that would hide it, right? So, you know, we disciplined him for that. And, and I said, you know, if you had just been honest, I gave you plenty of opportunities to be honest, you really wouldn't have been in trouble. But we are sinners by nature. We're also sinners by practice. We sin because we're sinners. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by practice. And sin is really man's declaration of independence of God. We, we tell God, I don't need you. I can do it my own way. And as sinners, we are defiled, dirty, and we need to be cleansed. We couldn't do this on our own. That's, that's really the problem. See, when sin entered the world, there had to be a remedy. There was a price that had to be paid. The ransom price had to be paid. And it couldn't be paid by us. It had to be paid by someone else. And it had to be paid by someone who was perfect. And only Jesus could do that. It was the only choice. It was either we all go to hell or Jesus comes and he pays the price as he did. It's called the substitutionary death of Christ, that he took our place. If you look at the, the Greek language when it talks about the, the cross, it, it always is in place of, it's always in our stead. Jesus was our substitute. He took our place. He died in the place of sinners that he might purchase, and it was purchasing. It was a ransom. He paid our debt. As an anonymous writer wrote, he paid the debt that we could never pay. That he might purchase our freedom, reconcile us to God, and thereby satisfy, and this is important that you understand this, satisfy the righteous demands of God. It's called the atonement. Maybe you can remember it as at-one-ment. In other words, through the cross, we became one with God. As sinners, we were alienated from God. The Bible says we were enemies of God. This wasn't a neutral thing. This wasn't, you know in a sense, something that wasn't a big deal. This was a big deal. We were enemies of God. We were at enmity with God. We were separated from God. And through the cross, we were made to be one with God, at one moment. And there's different aspects of the atonement. There's redemption, which means that He purchased us he paid the ransom price. We're familiar with, with ransom prices. We're familiar with purchasing something. 
And the, the word in the Greek for redemption is agorazo. It speaks of the slave market, the agora. And another Greek word used for redemption is ex agorazo, which means that we were purchased out of the slave market. We were slaves to sin, as Jesus talks about in Romans chapter 8. He who sins is a slave to sin. We were slaves to sin. And Jesus, by the cross, purchased us. He bought us. He paid the price, not to the devil. That's false teaching. He didn't pay the price to the devil. He paid the price to God. You see, the the issue was between God and man. And Jesus stepped in and he became our mediator. As the Bible tells us, there's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Jesus became that mediator by the cross. He bridged the gap. He paid the redemption price. Another aspect of atonement is reconciliation. It means to bring peace. Just like in a marriage that maybe is having issues and there's a strain and there's a separation. And we call that to be reconciled. Maybe there's two countries, two nations that are at war and, and they sign a peace treaty and it's called reconciliation, to bring peace. And that's what happened between God and man. Through Jesus, we were reconciled. We have peace with God. There's also propitiation, which is important. We talked about it, that all of the righteous demands of God were satisfied by the cross. You see, you guys, as sinners... We offended God. As sinners, we were opposed to God. And as sinners, the wrath of God, which we're going to talk about, was against us. And He was, by nature, compelled to pour out His wrath upon us. But Jesus took the wrath of God for us on the cross. And that's called propitiation. That all of the legal and righteous demands of God were taken care of. He paid the price. But there was a price that had to be paid. God is not a sugar daddy. He's not a great grandfather in the sky that can just say, you know, it's not a big deal. I know you broke the window. I know you spilled the juice. It's no big deal. God can't do that. He has to satisfy His holiness. And that's what he did through Jesus. And that's why, you guys, Jesus said on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, the wrath of God was being poured out on Jesus. He became sin for us. And God the Father turned his back on God the Son. The most intimate relationship was broken because of our sin. And He did that for us. That was what caused Jesus to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. That was what caused Jesus the agony and the torment. Not so much the physical suffering, because it paled in comparison to the spiritual suffering that Jesus endured as He took our sin, as He became sin for us. Propitiation, it's important. Forgiveness is an important aspect of the atonement. Forgiveness is that we have been 
set free from the legal obligation of our sin. That we have been forgiven of those things, that we have been exonerated, if you will, in a legal sense. That we've been forgiven. And so the sin of man was the the first reason for the cross. It says that he himself bore our sins. And only one without sin could do that. Jesus, who was without sin, bore our sins. And the fact that he was without sin is the second reason for the cross, and that is the holiness of God. The holiness of God, verse 22. It says that he committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. The Bible tells us that Jesus was without sin. Even though he was fully man, he was without sin. The Bible tells us that God is holy. And therefore, we should be holy. The holiness of God is one of his most talked about attributes. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, it tells us that there is no darkness in God at all. And as a result of God's holiness, he is wrathful. He is vengeful. See, this is important that you understand this, that the justice and the wrath and the anger of God is perfect. And it's justified because he's holy. See, when we get angry and we want to pour out our wrath on people, it's not perfect because we're sinners. And so our anger and our wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. It produces sin. It produces destruction. But God's wrath and God's anger is justified. And as a result of His holiness and of our sinfulness, there had to be a price that was paid, as I talked about. He was perfectly, listen to this, perfectly angry towards sin. And people ask that question. Well, how could a loving God, how could a gracious God, how could a kind God be angry? Well, of all the passages that talk about His love and His grace and His kindness, there are two that talk about His anger and His wrath and His justice. So we cannot just strip those passages out of the Bible and act as if they don't exist, because they do. The Bible is filled with the judgment of God, going all the way back to Cain. God cursed Cain for his sin. God judged Cain. You think about the flood. You think about Sodom and Gomorrah. You think about all the judgment upon the Israelites as they turned their back on God. And all the way into the New Testament, as we look at the book of Revelation, and the Bible ends with God pouring out His wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And so, God's wrath is certainly relevant. It's certainly prevalent in the Bible. And it's perfect. God was perfectly angry towards sin. Therefore, He couldn't simply overlook our sin. And we've 
talked about that with propitiation. He had to deal with it according to his righteousness. And so that's a second reason for the cross, is the holiness of God. You guys, when you look at the cross, it should not only remind you of the love of God, it should remind you of the holiness of God. It should remind you of the fact that this is how much sin angers and affects God. That he went to such great lengths to take care of it. And that's why Paul in Romans chapter 6 tells us, should we sin that grace might abound? In other words, should we just as believers say, you know what? I'm forgiven. Jesus took all my sins so I can just continue doing whatever I want to do. And that's an affront to God. It's a slap in God's face. It's us telling God that we don't care how much sin hurts Him and how much it offends Him. And so the holiness of God is something that's very important for us to understand. The Bible tells us, be holy because He is holy. We serve a holy God who's without sin. Well, a third reason for the cross is found in verse 21. It's the love of God. It says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Because Christ suffered for us. The love of God. It tells us that He did this for us. I want you to take note of that, that phrase, for us. He did this because He loves us. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, He did this for us. Jesus didn't come and, and become a man and, and live 30 years in anonymity, 30 years working as a carpenter, 30 years in poverty, and then begin a ministry to ultimately be arrested and betrayed and mocked and ridiculed and beaten and crucified and take the sin of the world. Jesus didn't do that for himself. He had no need to do that. He did it for you. He did it for me. He suffered for us. In John chapter 10, that famous chapter where Jesus talks about himself as a shepherd, the good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what Jesus did for us because he loves us. Jesus endured all the suffering and agony of the cross for us, for you. You need to personalize that, that Jesus did that for you. Because he loves us so much with perfect love. Imagine perfect love, you guys. Many of you are married. You understand love. You understand what it means to love someone. But think about perfect love. Perfect love that only thinks of serving the other person, that never thinks about yourself, 
that never thinks about what you're going to get out of it, that doesn't do something so that you can receive something. Think about perfect love that has no strings attached, no conditions, no limit. The love of God. That's the love that He has for us. And this love that He had for us produced so much pain, so much grief because of the condition we were in over our sin. In fact, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That was where we were headed, was death. Not only physical death, clearly that's part of it. That we're all going to die. But also spiritual death, that separation from God for eternity. And this death, this separation from God, so grieved God. It so pained Jesus that He was willing to come and take up a cross so that He could secure a relationship with you and with me. He took the initiative. He became sin for us on the cross that we might have life. And He did that because He loves us. He demonstrated His love. He didn't just say it. He could have wrote us a memo. He could have painted it in the sky. He could have done something cool with the stars. But He sent His Son. His only Son, the Bible tells us. Because He so loved the world that He sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him and whoever is an all-encompassing word that means every one of us, whoever believes in Him doesn't have to perish, doesn't have to be separated from God, doesn't have to live under the wrath of God, doesn't have to be subjected to the penalty of their sin, doesn't have to perish, but has the opportunity to have everlasting life. The love of God. We'll never fully understand the love of God. We'll never fully understand how God can be fully loving and fully wrathful. We don't understand that. But the cross sums it up. Because the cross demonstrates both the holiness and justice of God as well as the love and grace of God. When you look at the cross, you guys, you should see the holiness of God and the love of God. You should see God's wrath and God's grace. It's an amazing thing. And I think as, as parents, there's a lesson in that for us. As we discipline our kids, our kids should see the justice and the desire for us to set them straight in the path that they're going down that's, that's not right, whether it be lying or rebellion or any other wrongdoing. And they see that, they see that it was wrong, but they also see our love and our concern 
and our heart for them. And we see that at the cross. We see that Jesus took our punishment. He took the wrath of God because he loves us so much. And in whatever difficulty you're going through right now, whatever hardships, whatever trials, as Mark described, whatever you may be going through right now, you need to understand something. That God loves you. And whatever he's allowed to come into your life has to be for your best interests. And you know that because of the cross. See, you can filter all of the stuff that's happening in your life through the cross. And you can say, Lord, you wouldn't allow this in my life if you didn't love me. Because you took the cross for me. And if you hated me and you wanted to destroy me and you were out to get me, you would have just not come. You wouldn't have taken the cross. And so if you wanted to end my life, if you wanted to use me as a little play toy, if you wanted to abuse me and make me miserable, certainly you would have never took the cross. I love Romans chapter 8, verse 32. You don't need to turn there. But I love the message of Romans 8, verse 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? If God is for you, and he demonstrated that at the cross, that he was willing to give his son, if he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, you guys, how shall he not also freely give us everything we need? It's the lesser, greater principle. And it will help you through your difficulties, through your trials, through your struggles, through your questions, through your doubts. And maybe you're doubting the love of God. Maybe you're doubting the existence of God. Maybe you're doubting whether or not God cares about you because of your present circumstances and you need look no further than the cross for the demonstration that all of those things are not true. The love of God. Last point I want to look at is the relationship between God and man, verses 24 and 25. It says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you, verse 25, were like sheep going astray. We were, like, we were headed nowhere fast. We were headed to hell. We were headed for destruction, for eternal death. Peter writes it very poetically and, and kind of metaphorically here of a sheep going astray. You can imagine that. You can think of a sheep kind of wandering from the flock. And that was us. 
And when sheep wander from the flock and when sheep wander from the shepherd, it's not a good thing because they're not smart enough to be able to figure anything out on their own. And we were wandering from God. And you know what? We were, we're not smart enough to be apart from God. We can't do it on our own. And we were like sheep going astray. But now, because of the cross, because He took our sin, as He says here, but now we have returned, just as the prodigal returned. We have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls speaks of relationship. The relationship between God and man. Guys, Jesus longed and longs to have relationship with us. It's what compelled him to go to the cross. And he knew it was only possible through his substitutionary death whereby sinful man sinful woman is made acceptable to a holy god if you look over at 1 peter 3:18 it says for christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He wanted to bring us to Himself. He wanted to make relationship possible. He wanted to make us acceptable and clean and forgiven. Give us a white robe. Take away these filthy rags and give us a clean garment by which we could be found acceptable in His sight. And this was motivated and rooted in his desire to have relationship with us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 tells us that it was the joy that was set before him that caused him to endure the cross. He wants to have a relationship with you. And I don't know where all of you are at this morning with Jesus. I don't know where you're at with the cross, what you've done with the cross. But I would encourage you, if you've never placed the cross between you and God, if you've never said, Jesus, I need you, I'm a sinner, come into my life, I encourage you, do not leave here without doing that. Maybe you know the Lord, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you've been walking somewhat with the Lord for many years. You go to church, you sing the songs, you know the Bible, but you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, look, I didn't just come to save you from hell. I came to give you eternal life. And it starts today. I came to give you life and life more abundantly, you see. And I want a ha to have a special relationship with you. I, I want to commune with you. I'm knocking on the door of your heart and I want to come in and I want to fellowship with you, Jesus says. I don't want to just give you freedom from hell. I want to give you a relationship. I want to have a relationship with, with you. I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. And if you're not experiencing that, you're missing out on the fullness of the gospel. You're missing out on the fullness 
of the message of the cross and the reason for the cross. More than just that we're sinners, more than just that God is holy, more than just that God loves you, but that he wants to have a relationship with you. And if you're not experiencing that, you're selling yourself short. So I'm going to ask you guys just to stand and we're going to close with with one of my favorite songs of late we've been doing lately called Come Ye Sinners. It's a great song that, that speaks of what we talked about this morning. And I just encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, ask him to come into your life this morning. If you do know Jesus and, and you don't have that dynamic relationship that he wants to have with you, Get that right this morning. Confess your sin. Ask Him to cultivate a relationship with Him in your life. Begin to spend time with Him. Begin to read the Word personally and devotionally. Begin to pray, to seek God the decisions that you're making. Begin to to have a relationship like you would with anybody else. It's made available to you. The opportunity is there for us. Let's not leave this place without coming before the Lord in, in light of the cross and the reason for the cross. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.